Well, glory, what a good way to get the new year started off in worship. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Brother Darrell and Clara, Teresa and Courtney on the instruments there. I enjoyed the concert special there, Darrell. That was wonderful. I tell you what, that praise chorus. My goodness. I've been like the fire. You threw, you, you would soak and wet. Something's wrong, but i tell you what, as we were singing that, about halfway through, Darrell, I was so glad I went to bed before midnight. I feel sorry for the rest of y'all to stay up until midnight to watch the bottle come down because you ran out of energy and steam and probably oxygen too. But that's all right. It sounded great. God's people should have a good time. When they gather together to worship the Lord, we've got the greatest reason to rejoice. I know there are all kinds of crazy parties going on all across the nation last night and some of these wild celebrations. But I'm going to tell you what. The real celebration ought to begin on the Lord's Day, right here in the sanctuaries across the nation. Amen? Because we have more than anybody in all the world to rejoice about, knowing Jesus Christ. We know that we're going to live forever. Amen? Amen. We have a home in heaven. Praise the Lord. I tell you, this work is excited about. This morning, as I um, open up the Word of God, most of you probably already got the Bibles open in Matthew, and, and, and I didn't mean to throw you a curveball, but I'm not going to preach out of the Gospel of Matthew, simply because... As I was praying and deliberating about where the Lord would have me to go today, this being the first day of the new year, I felt like the Lord wanted me to just address the congregation, and then I guess too, and if you're a member of another church, and you're here worshiping with us, then certainly there are things in this message that I believe would apply to your heart and maybe speak to you. And so, uh, just uh, open your hearts up. I-, I want you to be receptive to what God's Word will say to you. Uh, we want to turn to Proverbs first. We're going to be looking through different sections of God's Word as God speaks to us in, in uh, different passages and different uh, contexts uh, that all centered around uh, a theme. And I'll tell you about that. Our theme for the uh, title for the lesson of the uh, message today is A Resolution for the New Year. Um, Proverbs 16.3. I use this so often in my personal life. It says, Commit your work. And in some translations, that would say plans. Commit your work to your plans to the Lord, and uh, your thoughts will be established. Or commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. In other words, whatever you attempt to do, commit it to God first. Always seek God's leadership and God's input on that. Now, I'll also ask you to go over to the book of Hebrews, because I'd like for us to look there in chapter 3. As, as the writer of Hebrews is writing to early Christians, and many of them are being persecuted in these times of trials and hardships as Christians, the early church. And, and he reminds them in chapter 3, first and foremost, of the fact that, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, in verse 1, he in fact refers to Jesus as the capitalized apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And he reminds us in that opening of chapter 3, the Lord Jesus is faithful. I, I said the Lord Jesus is faithful. Amen. No doubt about that. Praise the Lord. We stand on that with great confidence and exuberance. Our Lord is faithful in every aspect of our relationship with Him. And then I want you to look down at verse 7, because if our Lord is faithful, and we know that He is, then it stands to reason that those of us who call ourselves Christians and choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we likewise need to be faithful. And so he talks about this again in verse 7, and I'm not going to expound upon this, but I simply want you to see, he's quoted out of Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, but in verse 7 he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit speaks, 
today, and, and, and several times you'll use the word today, and that simply is to emphasize the urgency. In other words, don't mull over it and think on it and decide someday that you're going to put this into practice, but the time is now. And ladies and gentlemen, as we turn the corner of a new year, I, I urge you to understand that when it comes to doing God's work, the time is now. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your father tested me, proved me, and saw my work forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. Of course, the psalmist is speaking about the church of the Israelites through the desert, having been freed from bondage in Egypt. And, and he goes on to say, and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my reign, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my wrath. And now he finished quoting these words back to speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the right of Hebrews in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Already said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in rebellion. As I mentioned, the title for the, the sermon this morning is Our Resolution. Our re- Resolution. It's plural. It's, it's uh, us. Our Resolution as a congregation for the new year. Now, many people have or will on this day make some type of a resolution. We call them New Year's resolutions. And I thought it was interesting, I was listening to a message by one of my favorite evangelists, Greg Laurie, and he was making reference to this very idea. Many people make resolutions. He said in a recent survey done of the general public, that the old standby, number one resolution for years past, you know, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to eat less. <laughs> That's always been the number one resolution people for years. Interestingly enough, it's not anymore. According to this survey, in fact, the number one resolution given by the people that were surveyed was, I'm going to read more. I think that's probably thanks to Kindle, right? Uh, number two resolution was, I will be more positive. I say, amen. Amen. Any grouches listening? Uh, number three, I will volunteer more. And certainly, because the church is a volunteer organization, I say, amen, praise the Lord, I like those resolutions. And so, then number four, there was, eat less and lose weight. Now, I feel like we probably don't need to touch on that much, because you see, I, I understand that was the subject in some of our Christian Rescue lessons this morning. In fact, one of the adult four groups, uh, members, Gerald, told me that, uh, you might have gone over preaching in there today uh, on uh, a subject of overeating and drinking. I said, that's great. You know something about this subject. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but thank you, brother, for nailing that down because I tell you, I, I enjoyed reading this week's preaching go through lesson and I invite those of you that are not a part of the Bible study on Sunday morning, 10 at 9.30, 9.15, excuse me, and enjoy some of the best Bible teaching in the area. Now, as important as individual resolutions are, I want to challenge you, I want to test you, I want to push on you a little bit. To understand that as important as these individual resolutions can be, let me, let me share with you that our resolve as a body of believers, as a congregation, supersedes any 
individual resolution that you and I could attempt to attain. Our collective resolution as a people of God is, is much more important than anything that we can individually uh, resolve to do. Apart from your decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, of course, that's infinitely, eternally important. So, so let's consider this morning, as we gather together on this New Year's Day, the first Sunday of the New Year, that we might consider what it is that God is saying to us collectively as a body. Specifically, Cornerstone Baptist Church. You know, the Lord didn't give the Great Commission to individuals. I know we all need to take it to heart. But if you look at the context in which Jesus gives the Great Commission, it's given to a body. It's given to a body of disciples. He's speaking to the early fledgling church. He's saying, body of Christ, church, come therefore and make disciples. The church is to be a body that is on the go. Amen? Not sitting and putting our thumbs. And so based upon that, uh, if I have to submit a question for you to just ponder through this message, to just see if you're really hooking into it, this would be the question. Am I committed to fully apply myself and assist in my church in carrying out the mission that God has given to us? Are you really, truly? And if you answer the firmly to that question, then we're ready to move on. Because I want to challenge you with the spirit of the living God and these brothers and sisters gathered as, as witnesses to you today. I want to, I want to challenge you to embrace the heart of this message. And having said that, let me begin with this whereas. Whereas, we believe our Lord has not called us merely to exist, but to actively and purposefully do His will individually and as a church. If you can agree with that statement, would you say amen? Now, we are in agreement with our God has not called us to merely exist, to have our name on a church roll, and to show up at church occasionally, and to go through life to neutral, but God has called you and me as His people to be actively and purposefully doing His will, individually and as a body, then I would like to submit several resolves to you. A resolution, if you will, as a congregation, as a body of this message. Now, to resolve something is to make a decision. The definition in the dictionary says it's to make a decision, to reach a conclusion, to make a formal expression. Having heard a truth from the Lord, this is what we say in response. Now, first of all, as our resolution, we resolve to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify Him. Do you want to say amen at any point? If you agree with anything I say, you just go right ahead. That's nothing but Hebrew translation is saying, right on, brother. Okay? We resolve to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify God the Father. Why? Because God's Word demands it. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said the greatest commandment of all the commandments is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
Because every part of us, we are to bring glory to Him. And let me tell you something. He alone is to be the object of our affection, our deepest affection. Only God! The Lord God Almighty came out of the gate, if I can use that expression on Mount Sinai, when He was given the stipulations for His people to be His people, we know it as the Ten Commandments. God didn't mince any words. He didn't beat around the bush. He made it abundantly clear there in Exodus chapter 20 when He told Moses to tell the people of God to tell the people of God to tell the people of God for generations and generations until eternity passed. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We can translate that to say who brought us out of the domain of sin and darkness and death and hell. Amen? Yes, He says, I am the God that has delivered you. And he said, you shall have no other gods before me. No other thing, no other person, no other relationship shall take the place of God. You shall love no one, nothing, like you love God. Otherwise, God says, it is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Our God is still a jealous God. He doesn't wink at his people sharing their affection for him with anything or anyone else. God has got to be preeminent, number one, the object of your deepest affection. And that's what it means to be able to exalt Him. It's to love Him with all of our hearts. Everything we do should be to glorify God. That's in the Beatitudes as we were going through Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and what? Publicize it? Brag about it? No. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, whatever you do. It doesn't matter. He says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Folks, whatever you do from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, listen, you ought to be consciously thinking, God, just give glory to God. He deserves the glory. My goodness, look at all that He means to you and me as believers. Look at all that He's done for us. You could never think of giving Him less. You know, the Apostle Peter, writing again to the early church, under great persecution and hardship, made it very clear to them that they were a set apart people. They were not like the world people. They were not supposed to dress like and act like and behave like the world people. They were the people of God. And if anything, their actions and their reactions and their responses and their behavior are the same to the ones around them, even to the ones who didn't like them. Anybody here that they got somebody that don't like you? This is all everybody does. You don't have to call their name out. You just call them on the phone and say, right. But anyway, listen to what Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners. In other words, you're just passing through. This good world is not your home. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, listen, one of the problems with the church today is too many of God's people, Christians, have gotten feeling very cozy here in this world. They've made this world their home. They've forgotten that this is not their home. Our home is in heaven. The place that we'll live for eternity is in the presence of God, not down here. Don't settle in into this world and the entrapments of this world and the places of this world and get too comfortable because this is not your home. It's not my home. And he says, you're just sojourners and children, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evil that they may, by your good works, 
which they observed glorified God in the day of visitation. Even those people that don't like you, don't agree with you, that hound you and, and cause life to be miserable to you, and you behave as a child of God, you respond as a child of God, you have to see there's something different about you. There's something even supernaturally different. There's no way a human being can respond the way that you're responding. And you can smile and say, it's beautiful. Give the glory to Him. Faith, as we learned in our purpose-driven life study, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about the Lord. Glorifying Him. Exalting His holy name. Everything in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, the Apostle Paul made it clear. He says, we are the workmanship of God. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works of God, determined in advance to do. We don't even belong to ourselves. Do you understand? We were bought. We were bought with a price, a great price. It was a price of the blood of the sinless Son of God. Therefore, we are to give Him our everything to glorify Him. John says, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. How fruitful is your life? We're not talking about how much money you got in the bank or what your retirement account looks like or what type of car you drive or how many clothes you have in your closet or how big your house is. No! I'm talking about not even how many kids and grandkids you have. Those grandkids are wonderful, I'll tell you that. But anyway, no, fruitful. What are you doing with your life on a daily basis that makes God smile? What is it that you're doing that advances His kingdom? What is it you're doing with your life on a daily basis that points towards heaven and gives him glory? That's what we're called to do. Listen, I live, I'm talking about myself, I testify about myself right now. I live to serve my Lord, not to impress people, not to gain advancements in this world, not to gain the commendations of my family or my church family or my ministry peers. Oh, no, let me tell you something. My breath, my pulse, my heartbeat is to serve obediently my Lord Jesus Christ. You take Christ out of Charlie Martin, you've taken my life. You've taken my purpose. You've taken my everything about living in this life. Jesus is my all and all. I want to glorify Him today, but I want to glorify Him tomorrow. I want to glorify Him Tuesday. I want to glorify Him a year. I want to glorify Him until the last breath I breathe in my body, giving the glory. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. He said over in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ. The grand gain. There's nothing in this world to give me gain apart from Christ Jesus and loving Him and worshiping Him and serving Him. What about you? Listen, we are to exalt and glorify the Lord. Not because, not just because His Word demands it. Certainly that's the number one and primary reason. But even as a body of believers, those of you who are members of Cornerstone, our own church vision commends it. Those of you who know our church vision, it makes it very clear. We are becoming a kingdom church choir. So that the newspapers are taking notes, so that the Southern Baptist Convention will pat us on the back. No, we are becoming a kingdom church for the glory of God. 
Which is God gets the glory when a church is healthy and vibrant and God-centered and Christ-centered and Bible-based and spirit-filled and doing the work of the kingdom. Listen, that's what brings glory to God. And I believe the word in the best statement, our vision statement is intentional. We are becoming. We haven't become. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to deflate your balloon, but we will never totally do the best way to describe the church, the body of Christ in these times, is we are a work in progress. My prayer as your pastor is that we will be more like a kingdom church this year than we were last year. And we'll be more like a kingdom church the year, next year from here than we are this year. Listen, I want us to continue to grow. I believe that the transformational church action plans that we can develop won't indeed lead us in that direction. But listen, it takes the Spirit of God in the heart of the people of God based upon the Word of God, leading us to do the will of God. Our vision commends it. You may recall that one of the statements in our vision, our theme verse, if you will, is we exist for the purpose of glorifying God. By advancing His kingdom through enlisting people, through equipping and engaging and encouraging and empowering the people of God. That's what gives God the glory. But I need to move along because not only do we resolve, Give God the glory to God, the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. But also, I think it's important that we resolve to engage actively in the life of the church. I encourage you, church members, Christians, to discover or rediscover your spiritual gifts. They are given to us supernaturally by God at the moment of our salvation. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Therefore, as each man is given a gift, he says, Use those gifts to serve one another as, as evidence of the manifold grace of God. A more modern translation would say, take the gift that God has given you, the spiritual gift that God has given you, and use it, exercise it. Not for your own benefit, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. The spiritual gifts are given to every believing Christian, every Christian, for the benefit of the body. And each member has a role, and I might add, a responsibility to be actively serving in the church. The Apostle Paul helps us to see over in 1 Corinthians as we talk about the importance. Listen, there's no such thing as an unimportant member of the church. You go back and read that wonderful analogy that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12 as he compares the church to the physical human body. Listen, I don't know about you, but I plan to keep all the parts I got in my body. I know that old, what was it, McDonald's commercial or whatever, parts of parts. Listen, every part in my body is important as far as I'm concerned. Paul uses that analogy to say, listen, even the parts of the body of Christ that don't give a lot, a lot of attention, even those members that serve behind the scenes that don't seem to get a lot of attention and, and hoopla, they're very important. And sometimes they be more important than the ones that are up on stage getting their attention. Every member is important. Why? Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Paul says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, and the body just as he pleased. You are in this church because God has crafted you into this body of Christ. You are serving in this church because God has appointed you a place of service. If you're not serving, you need to get on your knees real quick before God and say, Lord, show me, show me, because I want to be in your will. And the way for a church member to be in the will of God is using your 
in your spiritual gifts, in your talents to serve the Lord because when we serve using our talents and our gifts, we build up the body of Christ, we edify the body of Christ, and that gives glory to God. And we need to also determine to do our share in the life of the church. Serve in the church. The first serve as the Bible calls us to serve. Serve in the church as the Bible calls us to serve. I'll take you back to Psalm 100 and let you hear the words of the psalmist. I, I used this this morning in our prayer gathering at 9, uh, at um, 8.45. And I invite you to come on Sunday mornings at 8.45 and gather with me and a group of uh, Christians, uh, uh, church members here. And we pray. We set the stage for the rest of the day. You come. It'll be well worth it. A few minutes you have to get up a little bit early. But this morning I shared Psalm 100 because it just it speaks so, so boldly to my heart. But the psalmist says this, and listen carefully to verse 1 and verse 2. He says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lambs. I feel like we've done a pretty good job with that joyful shout and thing. Sing it in praise of the Lord. But listen to what he says. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with kingdom. Not only are you and I called by God to serve, but we are called to serve him cheerfully. It's a pleasure to serve the Lord. It's an honor to serve the Lord. He is the king of glory. He is inviting you to be a part of his eternal kingdom work. Everything you do for your company, ladies and gentlemen, it won't last forever. All the sacrifice and heartache that you put into your education, your degrees, and things, I'm not trying to discount education. Go for it. I believe in education. I'm just telling you. Let's get our priorities in order. We invest so much and we get so enthusiastic about the things of this world when we ought to be enthusiastic about serving God. Cheerfully, cheerfully. And that's how the Lord calls us to serve. And then as we behave within the church, and this is not just in terms of behaving to one another, but also even outside of the church. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul tells us how Christians ought to behave towards one another. Does it make a difference? It makes a difference? Christians are backbiting and biting each other's heads off and, and, and clinical and sarcastic. Oh, so I'm tell you, that kind of stuff quenches the Holy Spirit. And it will sure damage the spirit of a church and the effectiveness of the church. This is what we ought to do. Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Compare what is evil, clean to what is good. The kind of to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, serving in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, taking the tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving them hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless those who do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. We have the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You pay no evil for evil. Have regard for, for good things in the sight of all men. And, and he goes on. That's, that's what you put out to be. That's how we ought to behave to one another. But ladies and gentlemen, you say, this is the way we behave to people on the outside of the church. I don't care how critical they may be of Christianity and, and Christians in the church. Listen, we ought to behave this way. We ought to reflect the spirit and the mind and the love of Jesus Christ to all of us on the outside of the body of Christ. So we, re- we resolve to engage actively in the life of the church. So we move on, because I want you to see that it's important also as we move on with this resolution into our new year to resolve to embrace any necessary change that arises. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus himself modeled change. 
Jesus wasn't afraid to change. All the different scenarios and contexts in which Jesus ministered, we see this already in the Gospel of Matthew. If he's teaching his disciples, he's got one set of things going on. If he's out there and, and people are hungry, he's going to feed them. If they're sick, he's going to heal them. If he's demons, he's passing up. If he's dealing with, with um, superficial Pharisees, self-righteous Pharisees, he's in a confrontation mode. Jesus was not afraid to change. I'll tell you what he didn't change. He never changed the message. And he never changed his objective. And that was to do the will of God the Father here on earth. Even the Apostle Paul, the greatest, I believe, Christian to walk the face of the earth. The Apostle Paul was not afraid to change. In fact, as we go back over to 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, listen to what Paul says as he's talking about. And Paul was not out there. He wasn't sitting in an ivory tower or in an air-conditioned office in Jerusalem and had his own little ministry going. No, Paul was out there amongst the people. And Paul understood that in order to reach people, he might have to change. He might have to adapt. He wasn't afraid of change. And this is what Paul says in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verse 19. Paul says, But though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law for God, but under law for Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. The healthy church welcomes constructive change. Demonstrating, first of all, our trust in the Lord. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this ship doesn't fly under the banner of one man. This ship flies or sails under the banner of Jesus Christ. And where he leads us, we need to trust him. The Bible tells us so clearly in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Listen, when we move in the direction of change, there was a spirit of confidence, instead of squabbling and being critical, listen, you're expressing your confidence that God is in control. He's leading. And might I add this, not only does it express your confidence in the Lord Himself, but it expresses your confidence in His servant, your pastor. Don't just make recommendations and come up with ideas just by watching television or flippantly coming up with something. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. I'm not boasting on myself. I'm making something very clear. I believe I'm correct if I say today that I probably more than any member of this church fast and pray and pour over the Word of God and call upon the name of God and, and seek His leadership concerning this church more than any person. That's our nation. That's my responsibility. That's what God called me to do 25 years ago as your pastor. I love this congregation. If you don't know that by now, you don't know Pastor Charlie. And I have invested myself in this church being what God wants it to be. So you stand with me and you support recommendations and you, listen, you're expressing not only your love and trust in the Lord, but you also express your love and trust in your pastor. But it doesn't just stop with the pastor because we also need to recognize 
that most challenges elicit essential changes. Because we're going into a challenging year. And let me start here, ladies and gentlemen. Two of challenging problems. The 21st century is presenting the church today with issues and problems we never had to face. But I'm standing confidently before, this, before you today and tell you God is still on the throne. Every word of his word is still true. We still have a plan that says we win at the end. And we need to put our trust in the Lord. Let me tell you something. Some of the, some of the greatest, most vibrant, enthusiastic, transformational churches out there that are successfully bringing people, lost people to salvation, that are growing and maturing disciples, Christ-like disciples left and right, are the ones who understand that they can't continue to live in the past. They can't continue to do what they've done for years and generations and expect to reach a changing world for Jesus Christ. Change is inevitable. We don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to be paranoid of it. Trust in God. Trust in those in that one that God has raised up to lead you into the future. Resolve. But we must not let our own pride and ego and selfish desires to hinder what God is trying to do to benefit the, the body of Christ overall for accomplishing kingdom purposes. Now, we need to resolve. We do. We need to resolve to encourage and pray for believers. Not just the pastors, but pray for all the leaders of the church. The ministers. The ministry team coordinators, the deacons, all the ones who are leading this church. Listen, would you determine right now, would you determine this day that God is your witness that instead of being a critic, you want to be known in this church as an encourager? Instead of having a style face and a critical word and, and talking behind people's backs, would you determine today that you're going to be forthright and upfront and positive and encouraging because you want to see this church move forward? You want to see us accomplish the goals that God has set for us? You want to see us become the kingdom church that God has called us to be? God help me. It's my church family thinking about me. Thinking, oh yeah, he's He's always, always criticizing. He's a, he hardly has a positive word. And he's down on him to criticize. He's down on him to be opposed to it. God help me if I'm known as that kind of a person. And I'm sure that's not what you want to be known as either. But finally, hold up your leaders. And pray. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, As I have prayer and supplication in the Spirit, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance, and pray for all the saints. But I like it, because Paul didn't stop there. And so he said that. Paul, the apostle, the church planner, the greatest promoter of the gospel of Jesus Christ since Christ himself, Paul said to the church in Ephesians, he said, pray for me. And I say to you, church family, this pastor, pray for me. There was no opportunity to have the preacher for work. He said, get on your knees and pray for him. In your prayer closet, pray for me. Pray for the other leaders. We need your prayers. I dare say there's not a leader in this church who wouldn't covet your continuous, heartfelt, genuine prayers. God, give them wisdom. God, give them perseverance. God, lead them to the Word. God, help them to be true. God, help them to be men and women of integrity. God, help them to be the best that they can be for the glory of God. Give your life, son. You and your husband, and you and your wife, and you and your family. 
had a special time of prayer just for the leaders of the church. We need it, ladies and gentlemen, to find a resolve to resist the sinful influences that undermine our church. You know who's better than I do. Because you're out there. Confront the sinful spirit of dissension and division. But the truth is not in the life of the church, ladies and gentlemen. You don't believe me? Listen to what Paul said over in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3. He's talking about the people that instead of engaging positively and doing the work and carrying out the teachings of the Word of God, they're busybody, lazy, going around, talking, running their mouths, creating dissension. This is what Paul says about people that, that are bent on negative rather than positive, always looking to undermine and create and create criticism. This is what Paul says over in Ephesians, I mean, uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, hate that person, and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Next time somebody wants to pull you out of office and say, hey, come over here. You know, these are some dumb ideas. And then Jesus, I think they're going back to you. You know, I, I don't know about our church council. You know, I just, uh, I never have like this. You know what you ought to do? First thing you say, brother, sister, are you on the positive or negative side? Are you going to church or against it? Uh, by the way, uh, have you actually gone and talked to the pastor? Have you actually gone and talked to the deacon? Have you actually sat down and talked to the church councilman? Have you actually? Most of them say, well, no, you know, I'm just, just between you and me. Because that's nothing but a tool of the devil. I promise you. And the next time somebody comes up with that kind of agenda, we don't need you spiritually mature enough. We don't need to be astute enough. We need to be a church member of integrity enough to stop them in their tracks and say, wait a minute, I love this church. I want nothing but the best for this church. Take your negative stuff and the devil and go down the road. You're no good for me and you're no good for the church. It's a serious business. It is serious business. Many of God-fearing, well-intentioned churches have been absolutely derailed, disillusioned, and ultimately disbanded because Satan got a toehold in the hearts of some of the members and there you go. I don't want it to happen to Cornerstone. I don't know because God's got greater plans for this church. I believe that with all my heart. God has an agenda for this church. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God has brighter days ahead for this church. If we get about the business of doing God's will for this church in our lives individually and as a church, you're asking me, so Pastor, what would you say? Set the tone. Wrap it up. Give us something that will maybe be a positive note. And here you go. Here you go. In Philippians in chapter 2, this is what we ought to focus on. If you want to know how we ought to be relating to one another, here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says in Philippians, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in the loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, and I insert the church. Love the Lord. 
with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And resolve this day that you will love this church unconditionally. This I offer to you as a resolution to Cornerstone Baptist Church for this new year. I stand before you publicly having prayed over this and deliberated over every word of this message more than once. And I stand before you with a clear conscience and say, this is my resolution as your pastor. You can hold me accountable to any part of this throughout the whole course of this year. Because I'm going to hold you accountable likewise. We are the people of God. We've got a great agenda to accomplish. And God is moving on. I say let's get in step with the Lord and let's move with Him. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. In our times of struggle, Lord, we don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. You tell us. And you have told us. We don't have to wonder how we need to do it. Because you've already told us. The problem is, Lord, sometimes we let our own personal preferences, sinful prejudices get in the way. Oh God, may we die to self that we might live in Christ. Lord, have your way, have your will, and cornerstone out this church in this crucial, critical year, 2012. Oh God, may your will be done for your glory. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and the people of God said. Amen.